Oh, gotta love a good prop. La 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 and welcome to Think About Eurovision, a Eurovision podcast with me, Chris, a Eurovision fanatic from the UK. And me, Kim, a Eurovision fanatic from Canada. Today is a main episode and we're going all the way back, all the way back to 1958 to follow up from our earliest ever podcast, which was 1957. Yes, eventually I feel like we will get through all the years and we will have seen every Eurovision. And so now we will have, we can at least say we have seen the first two. Except 1956 because... Oh, except, yeah, there was, it wasn't televised. Audio only and it's out there, but I think it would be difficult to get through an audio only version. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I have to say, there were parts of this one that were also difficult to get through. This was more difficult than 1957, I think. Yes, the voting. The voting was so (laughs) brutal. (laughs) I felt so bad for the woman, like the host. Yeah. Anyway, we will get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, so this was the 1958 Eurovision in uh, Netherlands in uh, Hilversum, following Corey Brocken's win uh, the year prior to this in 1957. Yes. Yeah. So this was another interesting one. We have talked about how we enjoy going back to these crazy early um, years of Eurovision. Just, you know, really kind of like for the interest of it. I love to see the fashions. I love to see how far we've come. This one was a little bit less piano recital uh, than 1957. They upped their game for 1958. It felt more like an, you know, a night out at the symphony, as we have seen in some of the uh, more, uh, the later yet still very early Eurovision finals that we have uh, watched. So uh, in all, I would say like production value has uh, probably improved in 1958 over 1957, though I did not enjoy it quite as much, I will say. Yeah, I, I, genuinely didn't find it as entertaining almost i think it was the lack of the host until the uh points yes i felt a bit like oh we're just getting thrown in there right okay oh this is happening already okay then <laughs> right all right at the for the with the very first song which was italy i was because um it was a song that i knew yes i I, I was very familiar like with the the song, but did not know it was a Eurovision song. And so I thought that it was uh, like an opening act or something. And it was like, I was like, oh, no, that was that was that was the first <laughs> that was the first contestant. Straight yeah. into it. No messing about. A little bit of orchestral music. And um, then they just push him on stage and like get on with the show. <laughs> Yes. So So, yes, a lack of host is definitely one thing. And the second thing I think that made me maybe enjoy it just a little bit less was a a lack of diversity in song styles, I think. And in the in 1957, we had a little bit more of uh, a mix of different styles and genres and whatever. That was also the case with the one in the 1960s that we saw, I think a little more so than this one. This one, it was very similar in style among amongst the songs i i feel yeah i I agree there um we've really not got much to say about the production value because in 1958 production values where we'll point a camera at the stage and people will come out and sing their songs that's right it wasn't about a big show and spectacle back then 
No, but I, I, um, I know that I have spoken before and I have already in this podcast, so I won't uh, dwell on it too much, but about the whole like piano recital becomes a night at the symphony becomes a party is like sort of the, you know, the evolution of Eurovision over the many decades. Um, and so I have said before that the more current Eurovisions, that's really kind of like high energy. It's a big event. People are, you know, like really amped up and energized it feels like you know a concert a show versus this night out at the symphony but the impact of the orchestra here was like really gorgeous i mean i don't want to understate it's not better or worse it's just different but like having this live orchestra with this style of music in particular it was like just really beautiful yeah a couple of your songs really uh, made good use of the orchestra i found as well Yes. And I felt actually, um, you know, in terms of my scoring and which I liked most, I did lean towards the ones that made best use of the orchestra. Some of the others where the song was very nice and the vocals were very pretty, but the orchestra wasn't used to its full potential. I didn't score it as highly because it just, you know, there was a an absence there that you felt because the other songs used it so well. Yeah. So, on to songs, shall we go through them all? There's only 10 to go through, so shall we just have a look at all of them? I think that makes sense. Yeah. Let's do it. So, up first, we had a Domenico Modungo with Nel Blue Dipinto de Blue, commonly known as. Volara. Is that right? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. Sorry to put you on the I spot. Volare. Oh. Cantare. Oh. Nail blue. Deep in so deep blue. Um, so like, I, I mean, I knew this. You didn't know that was a Eurovision song? I did not know it was a Eurovision song, but I knew the song. Uh, clearly, I don't know the year- lyrics, but like, I don't know the lyrics to any song. But I knew the song. I was familiar <laughs> with it. Um, I do think that I had an element of familiarity bias, if that is a thing, because this one, uh was my number one song i liked same was it yeah yeah um so i don't know i mean i cannot pretend that i wasn't familiar with the song when i did the scoring so i don't know if this would have been my favorite had i never heard it before but it was catchy it was fun it felt like i was in a martin scorsese movie like i was down with this there's a reason people still cover it to this day yeah it holds up it really does and and i think this and um a certain song by ABBA, Waterloo. I think they're the two biggest Eurovision songs that some people around the world will not know is a Eurovision song. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, I I don't I don't know any other famous Eurovision song simply because I'm not familiar enough with Eurovision to know if it's a Eurovision song or not. But of the yeah. ones that I know of, those are definitely two biggies. On a, on a side note, I'll mention, um, speaking of ABBA, is that I realized that we have covered every decade of Eurovision except the 70s. I think the 70s uh, might need to make a future appearance because I am, I am wondering what a 70s Eurovision looks like. That's a very good point. Maybe I actually prepared something already. <gasps> I'm excited. I hope there's so much fringe and bell bottoms. I can't. I cannot wait. That's I I just I love not only experiencing Eurovision, but, you know, experiencing like the styles um, musically and fashion and whatever of the era. That would be fun. Um, 
But yes, yeah. So this song by Italy was one to go on to become quite famous for sure. Yeah, and I would argue this is probably the most well-known song that people don't realise is a Eurovision song. Because mm. I think a lot of people know that ABBA got their big break through Eurovision. I feel that is a more well-known fact than uh, Nel Blue de Pinto de Blue is a Eurovision song. Yes, I yeah, feel. I think you're, I, th- I would say you're right on that. Um, but that has sold 22 million copies worldwide, that wow. song. Wow. Which uh, makes it both one of the most popular Eurovision songs of all time and the most popular song to come from the San Remo Music Festival from Italy, which, as I've discussed before, is a precursor to the Eurovision Song Contest. Right. Yeah, very interesting. And yet not the winner. It scored, uh, let's see, third overall out of 10. So yeah. it scored very highly, but it was not the winning song. And uh, we've talked b- before a little bit about how there is sometimes a difference between what pop culture and popular music is sort of like, you know, leaning towards uh, at the time versus what Eurovision is leaning towards. And so it doesn't always um, align. So I'm not terribly surprised that the winning Eurovision song is not necessarily the most popular song in pop culture. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I can can see that because uh, I would imagine back in the 50s, I don't know how sort of... It's like sentiment towards America was. Mm. Uh, I can't profess to be an expert on that. But maybe that song feels quite American. I mean, that's why I think, like, you know, people like um, Dean Martin, possibly Frank Sinatra has covered it. I don't yeah. know. But I know Dean Martin's covered it. I'm certain of that. I mean, I could be wrong. No, I think, I think you're right. But on I feel that. like that, that style of song is very much in that. Big band showman style. Rat pack. Of those American crooners. Yes, the crooners. You know I love the crooners. We- <laughs> do you do love a crooner? Um, yeah, so both of our number ones on this one. Yeah, that song isn't without controversy. How so? Um, accusations of plagiarism. From? So um, uh, a, a musician, Antonio DiMarco from Italy... Um, accused it of uh, plagiarising his 1956 song, um, Il Castello di Sogni. I could be pronouncing that badly. Because um, even though the song wasn't released, he claimed that when he went to Rome to register the song uh, with the Italian Society of Authors and Publishers, he conveniently lost the sheet music and they must have found mm. it. Uh, eventually, the Rome Court of Justice said, Nah, it's nothing like and it. And was that a song that was actually released? Like, were you able to listen to the two and see if they sounded f- similar? I have not listened to it. No, I'll have to. We'll have to, have to um, listen to that after the fact. You know what? There have been like a number of, you know, more current uh, accusations of plagiarism or um, sampling that's uncredited and that sort of thing. And I love to listen to the songs and see how similar they are. And some of them are like, okay, that is a blatant and clear ripoff. And sometimes I'm like, what is this yeah. person smoking? Because they don't sound at all, at all alike. <laughs> we'll have to listen to that if it's available and see how close it is um so just uh, so you know what the song's about um no blue de pinto de blue um so uh the songwriters um they were inspired by two paintings by a uh, mark chagall um one of them um the half of the painter's face was colored blue in the uh painting so he began penning a song about a man who dreams of painting himself blue and being able to fly 
So that's what huh. I think volare means to fly in Italian. I did not know that. Yeah, which is why he's got his arms outstretched at the, like, the big points. Oh, I see. He's uh, imitating flying. That makes sense. In later Eurovisions, we will see, uh, <laughs> like, the Georgian performance that was our very first D&Q. If the song talks about flying, they will, like, wear wings <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the props. The props will come into play, the wind machine. Yeah. I mean, Ivan, um, help you fly. Um, the Belarusian at with, was naked with the wolf. Oh, yes. Yep. He doesn't have wings. <laughs> he doesn't. He's have just wings. naked with a wolf. Yeah. I mean, like I would wait. I would. I would say that being naked with a wolf is its own level of extra. <laughs> that uh, that wings are not required there. But alas, in 1958, the wind machines and props, uh, for the most part, had not made its way into Eurovision yet. So he just sticks his arms out. That's yeah. No, no projections. <laughs> no. <laughs> Right, so our next song, uh, we go to last year's winner, uh, Cory Brocken from from uh, Netherlands with Heel der Welt, uh, which translates into The Whole World. Um, so I actually have this at my number two song. Um, it scored last place, tied for last place in the actual results. So clearly I liked it much more than the voting. Um this was just one for me. Uh, this gave me sort of like, I have a soft spot for the songs that feel like they could be in a 1950s musical. This felt like a Julie Andrews musical to me. <laughs> you know, I just like, it yeah. gave me, it gave me kind of like uplifting sound of music type, whatever. I just, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was nice. Yeah. Um, it was my bottom song. <laughs> And here we are, back in familiar territory. <laughs> yeah, uh, as we're used to. So I wasn't really keen on your orchestral break. It felt a bit cluttered. Okay. And it did feel very sort of classic Disney, which I've said before is not my cup of tea. Which uh, uh, Disney sound, right, which is which, what you like. Which I did, did like, yeah. And the last time too, when we both had the same note, uh, yours was as a con and mine was as a pro. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I liked, I act, I found the orchestra was well used in my opinion with a non-technical musical ear that I was thought that this, you know, was good use of the orchestra. It felt like sweeping, you know, uh, grand uh, Disney sound of music the hills yeah. are alive you know whatever um yeah so that's why i liked it and why you disliked it <laughs> i never thought about that but like the hills are alive if you if you just stop there it sounds a bit creepy yeah. the, with the sound of music it's like, oh that's all right <laughs> right yes okay the hills alive. are alive <laughs> with the sound of music yeah it's like the the hills have eyes and the sound of music had a baby and it's the hills are alive <laughs> um okay so that was her third and final appearance as a competitor at Eurovision. So she did the first ever one, 1957, which she won, and the 1958, which she did not bottom. win. Well, I mean, at least it was the bottom of only 10 songs, and it was tied, so it was technically yeah. ninth. Um, yes. But yeah, that's too bad to go from the top to go from the bottom and then bow out forever. But <laughs> yeah, um, uh, But she does return in 1976 as the host. Right. Yes, we did talk about that. So, so she has a uh, her own Eurovision comeback, not as a performer, but hopefully as a successful host. 
and Inglorious Technicolor again. Yes, there you go. Um, so because I love the fashions in these old <laughs> ones, I have to say that like um, her dress was my number one of the night. It was spectacular. And she had to have been sewn into it. It was just like cinched. a perfect fit. She was cinched to the gods. Um, like loved, loved. Yeah, so in that song, she sings that she wants to tell the whole world her secret because she's happy. Um, she wonders if perhaps the world is too busy to be happy. It's like, it's only 1956. Yeah. It's only 1958. Um, you know, I think people were a bit, you know, life was a bit more simpler then. I think it wasn't <laughs> that busy to be happy than it is now. No. Now we're all too busy to be happy. It's like a rat race now. Do you feel like in 50 years, they're going to be like, okay, you know, 2021, you thought you were busy <laughs> then, but now it's you like... You had it easy. <laughs> We're going to be wearing, like, uh, you know, the Google Glass where our eyes are screens all the time. We're going to be, like... I would so have that. Yeah, I, I mean, love like, a bit of gadgetry. We're not going to need to wait 50 years for that. Like, that's definitely coming sooner than later. I just bought an Oculus Quest. Have you ever tried the VR? Uh, I've like... never tried virtual reality. Actually, I say that's a lie. I went on um, uh, Galactica at Alton Towers Theme Park. Um, a few years ago, which was a roller coaster called Air, and yeah. he introduced a virtual reality ele- element where you put a, he- a headset on, and it's a flying roller coaster. So oh, it's God. like it, when you you sort of sit in it, and then it lifts you up from behind, so you're facing the ground. It was so good, really. It was so good. I'd la- I have to tell you, like, it's so fun. But I mean, I I don't think that I have the. <laughs> the stomach for some of the like crazier ones like i did i i did a roller coaster game last night and this wasn't even like a real roller coaster like the one that you're describing where you're actually moving but i I got halfway through and i was like nope too real for me (laughs) i'm such a baby Um, i love a motion simulator Man, it is really fun, though. And you can do, like, a spacewalk, and you can, like, do... You can go to a live concert and stuff. You can, like, actually go to a show. Um, and then, of course, there's lots of games and stuff that you can play. But you're right. In any case, we're probably we're probably going to have our, you know, eyeglasses, uh, computers, you know, sooner than later. You said concerts. Imagine if you could go to a Eurovision concert through an Oculus Rift. <gasps> That'd be amazing. What? Now I need one. Okay, well now I mean, like I have to see if that's possible. I have to see if that's possible. <laughs> um so yeah, um in that song, uh Cory never tells us why she's happy, so that's a mystery. Yeah, it's a secret. <laughs> right, uh next song, the winner of the night, France. Um so Andre Claveau with Dor Mon Amour, which translates to sleep, my love. Uh, what did you think of this one? It wasn't my favourite. I put it ninth, which probably doesn't come as a surprise. Not a surprise, yeah. So um, your bottom then was the Netherlands? Netherlands right. and then and France. Then France. Okay, it. yeah, so you really... <laughs> we definitely uh, are not on the same page on anything other than Italy, I think. <laughs> um, I had France at number four. This was one where it was like... 
this felt like the closing song to me in a in a like from here to eternity style 50s black and white romance and like you know how at the end this is gonna sound silly but it's like picture a um a black and white movie and they have the final screenshot the final shot of like the man and the woman kissing and then the screen comes in to um like like a tight circle to a tight circle and then you know the end <laughs> this felt like the song that would lead up to that or i don't know the song that gene kelly would dance to i don't know like it felt romantic oh i definitely got that i mean it's called sleep sleep my love which could sound a bit um ominous depending <laughs> on how you say it yeah but we're, um, we're really like reading <laughs> we're really reading into these song titles the <laughs> The hills are alive. Sleep, my love. <laughs> like, what's wrong with them? Uh, first ever male winner of Eurovision. Well, I mean, I think I'd be more impressed if there were more than two. <laughs> <laughs> two, like, two winners before him. But even still, yes, that is a milestone. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I did put that I would prefer it with a female singer. His voice just had a bit too much attack. Because it was so gentle musically, like the music element was so gentle and soft. His voice sounded a little bit too blah and in your face for Overpowering. Me. Yeah, I would have preferred a softer voice. Yeah, I think I could see that. Although I did like his voice. he has, There's a very distinct style of, you know, the 50s and he uh, embodied that. And I, I did like his voice, but I could see how um, it might have been just a bit better with, uh, with a little less force. Um, yeah. Can I just say too at the end? <laughs> so he wins, right? And then yeah. he's, he's like comes up to get his award. And he is like... Oh my god, it's like he is like needs to pee or something. He is just like <laughs> dancing from one foot to the other. He's so excited and he's just waiting for his turn in the microphone. And the man who is presenting the award to him will not stop talking. Like, did you <laughs> did you get that? I didn't pick up on that, no. Oh my god, it was so funny to me. This man is presenting the award and goes on and on and on. And this guy from France, the winner, all he wants to do is like take the microphone phone and like you know say his thank yous and let me sing my song yeah give a little speech or whatever and he's literally like dancing on the spot like a three-year-old who has to pee it is funny uh, um yeah yeah so uh, that song is a lullaby uh, to his lover where he tells her to sleep while he muses on their love and the power of the night <laughs> again i'm going there again <laughs> Oh, um, the power of the night. Um, like Bit Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I'm. I like. I would see that musical. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. So that was my number four, and your number nine. But the winner overall. Yep. Uh, next we have Luxembourg. Uh, with Solange Berry with. Un grand amour. So another song with amour in a title. So yeah. for anyone wanting to learn French, amour means love. Yes. Yeah, it was a, a very romantic love vibe that evening. Uh, yes. I have Luxembourg at number five for me. I'm very close. I put them six. Um, so 
Um, yeah, I, I thought you might like this one because it was felt very Hollywood glamour. Yes, it did. And this was the one that um, I was thinking of in particular when I said earlier that I did count it against them a little bit when they didn't use the orchestra as fully as I thought some of the other songs did. So I actually really liked this song. And more than anything, I loved the the singer's voice. She had this really deep, husky voice, you know, like very of the age Hollywood glamour, as you say. But I do think that the orchestra was somewhat underused in this one. And so that's why I put it middle of the pack. Otherwise, it would have been higher. Yeah. I mean, I like that one. The music build nice, builds nicely through the song. But what captivated me was her stage presence. Like yes. she was looking down a barrel of that camera. She was connecting with the audience at home. Yeah, she was a really beautiful performer, the uh, commanding stage presence, a beautiful voice, and her dress was gorgeous. Uh, Like, I, you know, I can't, I know that this is not a podcast about fashion, but I just love uh, the 50s aesthetic. Yeah. Um, But yeah, middle of the pack for me musically, but it's a small pack, so... As long yes. as you're not on the bottom, yeah. you're doing all right in <laughs> this one. You're doing fine. And when I score these ones, I've got to remember, I, I have to put my personal taste aside and I have to sort of score it mentally differently mm. to sort of thinking, in this style, which do I prefer? Rather than, cause so, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll sort of score the songs on my taste in music, but none of the songs really are my taste in music. So I need to sort of put my taste aside in like the really older years. Sure, yeah. And just go by what I think's the best song. That makes sense. Possibly going on to set today's standards, which uh, is why we both put Italy first, maybe. Yes, yeah, very true. Uh, so next we go to a, a debuting country. We go to Sweden um, with Alice Babs with Lilafana, which translates to Little Star. Um, she sort of runs out onto the stage with a proper spring and a step. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of very sort of fairy tale opening and then we get la 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 la. <laughs> yes, I did not score this one highly. Um I have it eighth out of ten. Um how did you do with this one? Fourth. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did not like the la 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 call and response with the orchestra. I thought it went on too long. That's what I like. <laughs> I like the call and response with the orchestra. I've got in my notes about the um, uh, call and response of the orchestra. And once the lars are sort of finished, like um, 34 seconds of laring. Yes, that was a long um, la la la. Yeah, it's, it's a famous Eurovision tradition now, though, having lars in the song. Really? I think there's a song that is just lars. Come on. I mean, we yeah, did have that like one song gonna... that was all like buzzes, but that was kids. I'm going to have to check that, but I'm sure there's a song in Eurovision that is just solely Lars. If there is actually a song that is nothing but La La La's that, act- that went to a Eurovision final, then that song deserves to win on nothing but the balls to send a song with nothing but La La's to Eurovision. I don't know if it's this one, but I found 1968 Spain sent a song called La La La. It's not just Lars, but the chorus at least is entirely Lars. (laughs) Um, So uh, they did not realise, I'm sure at the time, that Sweden was starting a grand tradition of Eurovision songs. But I did not. I mean, I thought it was fine. I thought the song was like 
nice. Yeah, it was um, good. Uh, yeah, it but, was all right. Yeah, but the the part that I didn't like was the part you liked the most. So this is why <laughs> it's so interesting to do the scoring because we're so different. And uh, another controversy with this one. Tell. So, um, Alice Babs and the composer had a little bit of a disagreement. Um, so the song was originally titled, and I'm going to just say it in English because uh, I, I learned how to say the short version of a title in Swedish. I'm not going to say this long version, but it was originally titled The Same Stars Shine for the Two of Us. But neither Swedish radio or Babs approved of the lyrics. And so they commissioned a journalist and lyricist, Gunnar Versen, who was an employee of a TV station, to rewrite the song, as well as providing it with a new title, Lilafana, without the knowledge or the approval of the original composer of the song. Oh, that's So tacky. as a result of this, he wouldn't allow them to make a studio recording. So the only recording that exists is this version. So that's interesting. I like I wonder what the lyrics were that they didn't approve of and needed to have changed. It was it like controversial lyrics or they just simply didn't like them. I couldn't find it out. Because we both like we both sleep under the same stars. That doesn't sound terribly like, you know, controversial or anything to me. <laughs> um, maybe they just thought they were crap. <laughs> maybe they just thought it was crap. Yeah, exactly. In which case, in which case, no wonder the songwriter was like, hey, um, yeah, interesting. Um, well, I mean, it seems as if the uh, the change might have been a good one because they did score highly. They came in fourth overall out of 10. So not too shabby for Sweden, though not my favorite. So you scored it fourth and it came in fourth, yeah? Um, that is true. I hadn't even picked up on that. <laughs> ah, yeah. So I don't think I had... Oh, yes, I had Germany, uh, which we will get to in a few songs. But there was... So one of mine was was scored in the same rank as the overall result. And did you have any others other than this I'm one? I'm just looking through now, and I think that is the only one. Yeah, that's the only one where I've agreed with uh, the jury. Interesting. So next we get our first prop of the evening. Oh, gotta love a good prop. Yeah, so uh, Denmark sent Raquel Rasteni with... right. Let's try this. Yarelid blau ulal min daubo. I tore a page out of my diary. Yes. Thank God for translate. <laughs> I, I spent like a good five minutes earlier on just listening to like a, a text to speech converter. Did you? It sounded very good to me. I don't. Trying to learn how to say that and slowing it down and going over it over it again. So right now, phonetically, so I could at least make an attempt. <laughs> good for you for giving it a go i wouldn't know the difference but it sounds it, it sounded great to me so un, un, until i found out the title and the meaning of the song i was like oh she sat down she's doing a crossword sudoku maybe <laughs> yeah uh writing i thought uh, she might be writing a letter but no she was writing in a diary yes i do i feel like i got a diary i got a you know her acting of writing in a diary translated to me yeah. uh although i did not know what the song was about um but yes we have a little bit of uh prop and acting we're, we're leaning into the eurovision extraness starting with this one i put um this was 
Denmark, yeah. right? I put it at number six for me. I put it a lot higher. I put my I put it third. Oh, very good. Yeah. So had, what what set that set this one apart for you? A decent time signature. Um, so it was I at one stage I could tell it was an eight four time signature, and then it sort of slowed down into a different time signature. I couldn't work out. And we mentioned last time I enjoy a weird time signature. Yeah. Um. And just the fact that, you know, there was a bit of a prop usage and, you know, rather than sort of standing up at first, she was sat down on a chair doing a little bit of acting, a little bit of a, a play before the song. I just enjoyed yes. that. And it, it it was like a sort of sign of things to come in Eurovision. Right. Yeah. An early taste of the extraness that we were going to see in later years. I mean, I wonder if people like then were like scandalized by people just like... <gasps> sitting down (laughs) (laughs) you're like no you stand in front of a microphone and the most you can do is spread your arms if you're singing about flying that's that is the acceptable amount of talking about uh, dominico spreading his arms if he was flying he uh, was actually a break from tradition from italian singers who would usually sing with their arm on their chest oh like as a thing like they all do usually they'd sort of like like they'd sort of sing with like arm across their chest like going like sort of being very sincere Oh, yeah. So him, like, spreading his arms out was very much a break from the tradition. What a rebel. Well, I mean, move your move your arms around. Yeah, you go for it. It's <laughs> 1958. It's time to move your arms. Um, yeah, so I really, I, like, I, not being, uh, not being, like, well-versed in the technicalities of music, so I did not notice the time change. But I, but I will say that I I did notice the beat of the of the song, like without knowing. I think I must have been uh, appreciating what what you're talking about. Yeah. So the beat of the song I really liked. Um, I liked the song more than I liked the performance. I thought the vocal performance wasn't as strong as some of the others. Um, and aside from like the cute diary prop stuff, I didn't find that the um the singer was as commanding a presence as some of the others. So I think I liked the song a little more than I liked the performer and so that's where it it came about middle of the pack for me. So uh, in in that song she is singing um about apologizing to either a friend or a lover. The uh, lyrics are kind of unclear mm. uh for her actions um and suggesting that the other party needs to do likewise and she sings that she regrets the words she used. Uh, so she tore a page out of her diary, which is why she tears a page out of a diary at the start of the song. Okay. Very literal. Makes sense. Very literal. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Um. All, all, up next, we go to uh, Food Leclerc from Belgium with Ma Petite Chat. So, My Little Sweetie. My little sweetie. Um, so I think I misspoke earlier when I said that I I can't remember if I said this, but I seem to recall saying that Netherlands was my number two, but that was incorrect. Netherlands was my number three, ah. and Belgium Belgium was my number two. Right, you are. Um, Yes. So this was another crooner type vibe. It felt very kind of rat packy to me. And as we have already discussed, I love that. Um, So I have him at my number two. So you know how we agreed on the number one? Yes. We agreed on the number two as well. Are we? Yep. I enjoyed this. 
Yes. Okay. Per- like, okay. So what did you like about this one? I like like the big open. It started off big, brash and loud and then sort of brought it down. He came out, made a little tippy toe motion with his hands. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, when he gets into it, it really started to swing. Yeah, he got into it and he was like loose and he was like enjoying the performance and he was having fun on stage. He was having fun. And I do think that this style of music has held like it's stood up over time, um, you know, better than some others, I think, uh, amongst these performances. Um, you know, there's a reason why we still know who, like, some of the big crooners are. And there's a reason why we have modern day crooners like M- Michael Buble and stuff like that. Like, I do think that maybe evaluating these songs with a 2021 viewpoint, as we've said before, it kind of like, um, colors are are voting a bit and so we both voted these crooner ones one and two that's interesting yeah and again just like the last song interesting use of time signatures um i like that it would it was in at one point it was in four four which is standard one two three four one two three four two it would then go into a swing rhythm so a three four time signature would go one two three one two three one two three one two three i like that um, yeah. I, I I am a sucker for using a time signature that's not just 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, mix it up a little. Keep it interesting. Yeah. I um, I agree. Not much details on the uh, meaning of this song, other than it's him walking through a rough part of town and finding, brackets, and ultimately marrying the girl of his dreams. Oh. So he likes a bit of rough, apparently. Is what I'm taking from that. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough you do you belgium um yeah that uh that was a good song i i enjoyed it yep uh now we go to another returning contender from 1957 so on the topic of props remember in 1957 we had our first ever uses of a prop with a telephone telephone we go to margot hilscher with for zwei groschen music um, two penny music, and she comes out looking like Goffy Kendall uh, when she was dressed as the Queen on Drag Race UK. I don't. My memory is so <laughs> bad. I don't remember. I like. I know. Uh, I know. When I'm in the season, I'm really in it, and then afterwards, it's just like boop, out of my brain. So I'll have to look that up. Um, yeah. So, what did you think of this one? Um, again, a big sucker for a prop in the early contests. I'm like, yeah. yes, you wrote a prop. You're like, you're, you're ahead of the time. You know what's coming. These little teeny tiny props. So the telephone in 1957, the the diary, and for Margot Hilscher, the uh, seven inch records. All that adds up to a man in a giant hamster wheel. <laughs> for 1958 standards, this woman was in a hamster wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a sash or as uh, Roxy Andrews would call it, a shah, um, which said Miss Jukebox. And um, she was singing about the simple joy which can be had by paying a small sum of money to hear music. And then she... Well, that's a lovely sentiment and a nice yes. break away from uh, lovers. Singing about love, yeah. It's always about lovers. Love of music. Yeah, love of music. Rather than just, oh, it's a girl, it's a boy, I'm in love. <laughs> 
Um, so I think based on what you have said so far, I likely scored this lower than you did. I have it at uh, seventh, which is also in line with where it came in the actual I play fifth. So bang in the middle. Just some songs that I think musically yeah. were more entertaining, but I did enjoy, as I say, the props. I also enjoyed that. There was one moment where the orchestra all went, hey, and I quite liked that bit. I know, I did like that. I noticed that and I liked that. Um, on the whole, I found the song to be a little bit, uh, what's a good, uh, like cheesy, I guess, which I mean, maybe is not uh, like a fair criticism because a lot of these songs are cheesy. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I found uh, the, the props were fun, but I just didn't like the song as much as no. some of the others. Um, I quite liked like, the miming of a record going round. That was weird, although rather than she, could, she couldn't make yes. it like, spin round. She had to sort of like, like oscillate it, I guess, is emotion. I know you like our listeners can't uh, can't see me. But as soon as you say that, I know exactly the movement. I'm trying to do it right now. I think the way to describe it to anyone listening, I mean, can, what movement are they on about? Imagine doing a hula hoop, but holding a plate in front of you whilst you're hula hooping. And I mean, the motion that the plate is making right. is the motion she was making with the records. Right. Yeah. I, I, it did not clue into me that she was making that movement so that the records were spinning. I was just like, that's a, that's a funny <laughs> dance move, but sure. <laughs> right. We've got two songs left. So after Germany, we go over the border to Austria, uh, to Lian Augustin with Die ganze Welt braut Liebe, The Whole World Needs. Um, I love it. I put it eighth. This one. I put this ninth. Ninth. Yeah, we're very close on that. All I could sort of say about it is a lovely lilting voice. I don't know why people think that German is an aggressive language, because this proves that it's not. Yeah, I thought that it was, you know, quite lovely. I thought her voice was lovely, but I do think that I was getting a bit of fatigue at this point of this similar style of, you know, some of the ones that we had talked about earlier, Netherlands, for instance. Um, So at this point in the contest, it felt like nothing new. And so I think that in my um, scoring, at least, this one was ranked lower because it felt a little sort of boring at this point yeah have a wild step in the dark what she was singing about was it love how did you guess <laughs> um, yep, she yeah. was singing about how the entire world needs love and asked if it should be any different for her and eventually answers her own question by saying no it shouldn't you're right like, yeah well duh you are right also she looked gorgeous in her dress of course the dresses were all gorgeous, although, um, you know, somewhat understated in comparison to like, um, I mean, like in the 19, by the time we hit the 60s, right? When we saw the uh, the 60s. That with, epic sort of pearl bead yes, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That, like, you know, a different. That was like weighed like a ton. <laughs> exactly. Yes. A different era and obviously a different style. But um, yeah, just they all look gorgeous. Yep. Um, and, and then we go to our last song. So, again, uh, a three-time competitor who did 1956, 1957, and 1958. Oh, wow. And who was the first ever winner of Eurovision 1956, Lise Assia, with Giorgio. Um, and, and looking at it, my, my notes feel very contradictory from where I scored it. Oh, do you tell. Because my notes, I'm saying, it feels very upbeat, like a horse galloping along. 
Yeah. And then I put it seventh. This is dead last for me. <laughs> um, so I think that I understand your notes, though. I feel like I um, have similar notes as well, because I also put in my notes points to this song for a, being a departure from the other songs. And yet, yes. although I put that in my notes, I scored it last. Because although it was different than the others, and to a certain extent that was, uh, you know, a nice change of pace, I didn't like the song. I found it repetitive and grating. Yeah, it's light opera, I believe, is the uh, genre that that comes under. Oh. So light opera is like opera book crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think. That is, that's what I'm taking from you that. You know what? There's the, there, you put that in Wikipedia. That is what this is. That's it. I wonder if um, one of my favourite operatic songs, uh, Funi Funicular, which is about a funicular railway up the side of Vesuvius, um, it's a very famous piece of music. I think that counts as light opera. I feel like I would, I, maybe I would recognize it if I heard it, but I, you know, has it been featured in any movie? My, ex- the extent of my knowledge of opera is like the song that plays in Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's the one that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I have heard it. Yeah, it's a famous piece of music, and it's probably the only bit of opera I like. Uh, given, uh, w- except from Jerry Springer, the opera, which if you've ever seen that, it's brilliant. What? That's a thing? Jerry Springer, the opera, yeah. Oh, I'm going to look that up. It's good. It's sweary as anything as well. I like that. Yeah, it's um ri- written by um a-, a British comedian, Stuart Lee, who sort of looked at... Um, it was well co-written by him. He wrote like the uh, story, and someone else wrote the music. Yeah, because uh, the person who wrote the music went looked at the Cherry Spring and went, "This is opera, <laughs> really," and they made it. So they should do a whole series. They should do Jerry Springer, and then they'll do Maury Povich, and then uh, they'll do I don't know what's the name of the guy with the white hair. I mean. Ralph Harris. <laughs> Trying to make a big one great white hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst person came to my mind. Um, uh, um, I can't. Donahue. Donahue. And then Sally Jesse Raphael. They could do a whole series on this. Well, the first half of Joy Spring the Opera is set in the Joy Spring studio. The second half is set in hell. Oh, that checks out. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it features Jesus. It had Christians protesting outside every night. Oh, you mean like, I, like for a second there, I thought you were talking about like in hell in the second act, uh, they were protesters. No, in, no. <laughs> outside the theatres, there were protesters. Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's very offensive if you're religious. If you're not, it's hilarious. Okay, well, I will watch that. Uh, but yeah, I, I did put that despite feeling upbeat and I like that horse galloping along kind of rhythm to it. Yeah. It was a departure, like you say. It felt a bit novelty. Yeah, it was just... Like, uh, I just found it grating. And it was one that, like, (laughs) my my boyfriend, John, he likes to kind of, like, just touch in for the, like, a recap. And this was, like, he was, like, you know, like, all over the house after this. (laughs) It was, like, 100% (laughs) like an earworm, but not in a good way. Yeah. So in that song, she sings about Giorgio who she'd apparently spent a romantic weekend in Lake Maggiore with. Scandalous. Uh, the lyrics contain references to polenta, risotto, and espresso, 
So they probably spend the weekend eating. That's not where I thought that was going. Yeah, that's not what I thought she would be. Well, I, I did about. pick up on it. Like she's such, that bit where she sings really fast, like polenta, 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 polenta. It's her singing polenta, and I can't do. I can't get my lips around singing risotto that fast or espresso that fast. But I can do polenta, 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 polenta. No, that's what. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's I, I wouldn't say no to a weekend in Italy. With plenty of polenta, risotto, and espresso. That sounds all right to me. That should be like, that should be like, there should be a restaurant <laughs> where that's how they like say their specials. Our special tonight is risotto, 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 risotto. Espresso, espresso, espresso. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have no problem with that as a weekend away in Italy. No, I mean, fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would take that over, uh, like, giving all these foods in Italy over the, like, I don't know, lovey-dovey romance. <laughs> or the, uh, what was the one in the France? The France one where it was like, they come at night or something like that. <laughs> oh, oh, um, uh, the sleep, my love, that one. <laughs> and what did I say? They, they come, come at night. night. <laughs> <laughs> well, looks like he sort of sings about muses on their love and the power of the night. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you can tell I'm not a romantic. Yeah, nor am I. Nor am I. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, so that was that was all ten songs. All ten songs. We don't but have after that. Italy gets to perform again because it yes. wasn't broadcast to all the countries listening and watching. They didn't get it. So he gets to do a reprisal of his song. Yes, yeah, technical difficulties. And uh, and then those difficulties continue oh, all the way dear. through the voting. This was painful. It was painful. But, I mean, like, I watched all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, like, normally I do kind of, like, skip through the voting um, or I do something else while it plays and whatever. But the voting was quite short. It did, thank That was goodness. Uh, a good thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I like the scoreboard. It looked like, um, like the uh, cricket scoreboard from a village green. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like um, the little so tech noticed... one, though, just a wheel of numbers behind it and just r- running oh, it around. Oh, yeah, I definitely pictured somebody back there just being like, oh, scroll, scroll. <laughs> um, so the voting was a little different, wasn't it? It was like they could just, they had an allotment of votes and they could just put them wherever they wanted. So, yeah, so it, basically what happened was each country had 10 jurors who chose their favorite song. I see. And they just gave one point to each juror's favorite song, so... The first country to vote, they really split their vote. But then, like, yeah. Italy, I think they put six to one and four for another. So it was just um, based on how they want to split their votes. So Italy, yeah, Italy gave France six and Switzerland four. Right, yeah. And then the first country that voted, as you said, I don't remember which it was. It was like, they gave, like, one point to every single performer, pretty they much. They gave one point to everyone except Denmark and Germany. Yeah. And that was like, I didn't, I didn't realize what was happening at first that I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, why are they just saying one, one? I don't get it. But obviously I caught on by the end of it. But then there was like, who was the country that just kept talking? And she was like, wait, please Austria. wait. I have to, I have to repeat what you're saying. Please repeat. Austria, it was like, just just like, Austria had a train to catch. 
Yeah, exactly. They're just like, he's like, I've got places to go. And then they were, she was on the phone for a while and she was like, there was an error and this was supposed to be this. And so they made the change. And then she was like, oh, there's no, there was was no no error. (laughs) It was a train wreck. Yeah. Um, uh, props to Germany. Very efficient. (laughs) They did not mess around Germany. It was like, here's the point. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. I feel the same. <laughs> um, yes. So, I mean, with no host to speak of, really, no uh, postcards or anything, they did do a bit of like a halftime performance. It was the wedding dance that the orchestra did. Yeah, so we had the um, wedding dance about the Metropole Orchestra. Uh, so that's they did between like halfway through the songs. Uh, that yes. song was called The Wedding Dance. And I recognize the second piece they did between um, all the acts and the scoring, but I can't, for the love of the money, find out what that piece of music's called. I recognized it, though. I don't remember recognizing it, but I'll have to go back and listen again just in case. Um, but yeah, I did find that, I mean, the orchestra was lovely, and I thought that these performances in between were very nice. And I mean, like, they really like the show was an hour and 15 minutes long. Of course, there were only 10 countries. So it's easy to make the show shorter than the more current ones. But I did find they really just kind of like plowed right through there was not a ton of downtime barring the, you know, scoring um, fiascos on occasion. But like, yeah, they just like pumped this right out. They did. Now, I've got to be honest. I did miss having a host throughout the whole show. Yeah. Uh, Honey Lips was the host during the scoring portion. I didn't feel looked after not having a host welcome us to the show. Yes. I felt a bit like, I don't. Oh, oh, we're just going in. All right. Don't worry about us. Yes. I don't feel like um, the host necessarily needs to do much during the meat of the show. And they don't generally. I mean, like we don't see the hosts for a long stretch and more current Eurovisions. But to have them there to welcome us, I think, is integral. Yeah. And you're right that I felt kind of like just thrown in the deep end without any kind of introductory, um, I don't know, welcome. Yeah. Um. So that wraps up Eurovision 1958. Um, so you mentioned at the start of a podcast, we've not touched on the seventies. That's true. I have, I had actually planned a 1970s one for the next time. You did? Had, oh, I'm yeah, so excited. We're going to go to 1974 in Brighton in the UK. 1974. Yes. A very famous year in Eurovision. I was going to say, I think I recognize that year. Yes, what what year do you reckon that might that might be famous for, maybe? Waterloo. Yep. Waterloo. I don't know lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> the year where Waterloo Dooby Dooby Doo Waterloo won the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> I can tell already what my top one's gonna be. I'm gonna really try not to let my familiarity bias like get in the way but like how how can it not be the number one I, I, I'm wondering what you're going to make of the Interval Act the Interval Act I don't know if it's something you had in Canada oh that sounds intriguing you might be like oh this is a throwback you might be like what okay I'm, I'm really interested excuse me what <laughs> I can't wait I can't wait the 70s are gonna be they, that's gonna be a vibe it's gonna be something <laughs> yeah okay well that is very exciting i can't wait to do that next time indeed right then until next time
Bye. Bye. Right then. So, due to our recording schedule, with we're taking a break of recording for Easter. We're pre-recording some episodes to get through that time. We've only one episode of Drag Race to talk about. And um, I, I'm going to guess that, Kim, you want the Earth to open up and swallow you whole throughout most I, of this episode. I could not wait for some of this to be over. My secondhand embarrassment was, it was just off the charts. I I had, I struggled. <laughs> I, I don't love the stand-up comedy and roast stuff because inevitably sometimes people they not only bomb but they (laughs) just like take it a step too far and that happened that happened so this was a nice girl roast where they brought where they brought back um heidi in closet nina west and to make it easy on them valentina (laughs) valentina (laughs) she is a fun one to roast i mean just so easy i mean like you just you start with the whole fan favorite thing, and yeah. as some of the queens did go into rent live. Oof! I don't know if you've seen <laughs> I any didn't of that. See it. That's not good. <laughs> I got that impression for sure. Uh, Valentina, like there, there was many notes in that um, show, and Valentina hit maybe two of them. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Um. The whole show yeah, is a whole so- is a mess. I love uh, I love it... Rent and I can't watch that Rent live on Fox. No, I have not. I do I love musical theater, but I have found that I don't love it in this format um of the like live theater via television. I so I I haven't watched any of them. Yeah. I tried to watch one and uh I don't I... mind like a, a broadcast of something that's been filmed on a stage in a theater. Mm-hmm. That's different, but these ones that are made for TV, it's like Oh no! Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I watched Hamilton. Um, like so good. Yeah, exactly. It was amazing, and that was the theater performance that was filmed, and yeah. that was different. But these, like, made-for-TV ones, just like they don't do it for me. Like casting Ariana Grande as um, that pale, white-skinned girl in um, Hairspray. It's like, but she's got naturally dark skin, and Seaweed sings um, "Skin as Pale as Snow." Like doesn't really make sense. Yeah, was a weird casting choice that one. Uh, anyway, so on to the uh, <laughs> nice girls roast. Um, yes. So we return to the workroom um, after Tina Burner's um, elimination. Um, yes, yeah. Tina Burner went home, in my opinion, uh, too soon because I think Utica should have gone home last week and would have spared us all the absolute horror that was her performance <laughs> in this week. Um, but uh, but yes, so we have our we have our uh, our mini challenge that I thought was really like fun and funny. Uh, what was the mini challenge? Um, so that was the one where they did the makeup, but one yeah. like uh, one queen was the arms and the other was the face. And like uh, Rosé and Candy, they did a great job. I think they were um, well-deserved winners, but I thought all of them were pretty fun and funny. Indeed. 
Yeah, it was very much like that um, click clack challenge um, that was on a few series back. Um, what was that one? That was when like had to do one drag queen did like the top half of the body and another did the legs. Oh yes, yes, it was yes. Very much yeah. in that similar vein. Exactly. I remember now. Um, but yeah, then we went on to the roast portion. So uh, they sort of had like the rehearsal with uh, Lonnie Love and Michelle. And uh, let's start with the, the good stuff. So like Got Mick came out was like, I'm really nervous. Yeah. And had some great jokes. Yes. I think that Got Mick is just such a total package. And I think that she just like has some areas that maybe she hasn't fully developed or is um outside of her comfort zone but she is naturally good at it which we saw here so it's just a matter of building confidence more so than like you know trying to get past a you know a lack of ability because she has the ability it's there and then i mean like she did she did great in the end yeah um to be fair i would have put her above candy for the win you're kidding. No. I I would not agree with you there. Because for me, um, Candy was pretty confident she could do well. Got Mick was nervous she could do well. I would have given it to the person who, who felt like they'd overcome more of a challenge. I don't know. I mean, like, that's, I mean, like, I understand where you're coming from there. I definitely love a root for the underdog as well. Um, and uh, I think that that sometimes does make a very compelling story to see that this person had overcome their, oh, sorry, overcame their, um, their, their challenges, their self-doubt in order to, like, you know, really come through in the end. And yet I, I think that um, Candy, which I... Like, Candy has been, um, I think, like, uh, receiving harsh criticism from me over the past couple of weeks simply because I think that she should have gone home when it was her, um, when it was her loss on the lip sync instead of there being a double chante. But, um... In this one, she really showed me why she's still there. She is not the top queen for me. Got Mick is still, you know, I think the absolute front runner. And despite her poor performance in this one, Simone, I think, is still a front runner. Um, but Candy Muse really kind of like showed me that, you know, she is still deserving and amongst the um, top performers, despite being in the bottom and potentially have going have gone home uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know. I mean, like, so for me, that did feel like a bit of a comeback for Candy Muse, maybe only in my own opinion. But like, yeah, I I liked that she finally won a challenge. I thought she was deserving of this one. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, in the uh, sort of rehearsal run-throughs, Candy Muse was all right in the run-through. There's no real sort of, nothing to talk about there. Uh, yeah. But Simone was given some direction and... Stuck her fingers in her ears and went, nah, I'm going to do the same yeah. thing I did. Well, I feel like they kind of all did, yeah. right? So Simone, Utica, Olivia, um, Olivia they, they all, were given, con- yeah. yeah, they were given criticisms. They were given constructive feedback and they did not incorporate it in their performances. And I do think to a certain extent, it might be that they just simply didn't know how to do something different or it does seem that, I mean, like at least the editing in some of the, you know, talking heads where they were talking about um, Utica's performance, that she simply thought the judges were wrong, in which case, I mean, that's going to burn you every time. They told you not to do those specific jokes and then you did those 
jokes. Um, right, shall we? Shall we get on with a shit show that was Utica? Yes, I just I cannot stop talking about it. Um, <laughs> but it was so painful, and I just don't understand, right? Because like in past episodes, we have seen Utica being so conscientious, sometimes overly so, of not <laughs> wanting to cause offense and not wanting to. Um, you know, like overstep boundaries. And I know that that's in a different context. It was very specifically in the context of appropriation. But regardless, I mean, we have seen her be very overly cautious of not wanting to cause offense in past episodes. And then in this one, she is just like, hey, hey, fatty, (laughs) you know, like she just she was so mean. And I I don't think she was meant to be mean. I thought she thought she was being funny because other queens prove that you in a roast, nothing's off limits. I've seen yeah. roasts where people have, you know, um, taken a mick out of people with cerebral palsy. You know, it's another comedian with cerebral palsy. Just for clarification. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> on a roast battle, uh, Rosie Jones, who's a brilliant comedian with cerebral palsy, went against um, a, a TV presenter on The Last Leg, whose name is just running away from me. But he did jokes at Rosie Jones and her cerebral palsy. If it's funny, you can say anything. Yes, you can get away with it. You can make yeah. a fat joke. I've seen um, like Jewish uh, comedians have like a Holocaust joke thrown at them in a roast because in a roast, right. nothing is off limits as long as you're funny. That's right. We saw other fat jokes in this roast. Um, Got Mick had one for Ross about the pizza guy, right? <laughs> like, really and it joke. was hilarious. Right. So it's not that fat jokes are off limits. It's just that, like, it wasn't a joke. It was just a straight, like, you're fat and um, bad. Yeah, I don't know. It felt like bullying more than, like, I get, like, roasting is intended to, like, take jabs at people. And so I'm not, like, docking her for that, of course. But it's supposed to be, um, you know, in a way where the person who's the subject of the joke, I think, can, like, laugh along with it. Because you're like, oh, that's funny. You got me there. And instead it was just like, oh, you're a bully and that's me. Off the top of my head, the way I could do that would be like... Uh, Nina West is so fat she has a Rosetta Stone degree in whale. <laughs> Something along those lines. I mean, right. I mean, like, make it funny. Make it funny. But uh, I didn't like it. Uh, it was painfully embarrassing. She was not the only one that caused me secondhand embarrassment, of course. Both Olivia Lux and Simone were really, really hard to watch. For the listener, I just mind, um, like, holding cards up to your face. Oh, God, yes. Olivia Lux, I understand what she was trying to do. She was really trying to lean into this, like, nice girl so that it could be cutting, but un, like, un, uh, expected. She wasn't funny or cutting. But she wasn't funny. Yeah. Uh, it was just bad. I would have put Olivia in the bottom with Utica, um, based purely on, uh, uh, report card because Simone was not any better than Olivia in this challenge, but they were equally bad in my opinion and equally hard to yeah, watch. Yeah, I, I think Simone had better jokes than Olivia. Her problem was yeah. getting to the punchline fast enough before you lost co- right. you know, interest in the joke. You gotta be funny and yes. you gotta be quick. Yeah, that's right. I was a little bit surprised, um, and the the judges pointed this out, of course, that I was surprised that Rosé was not as funny as she was in the rehearsal. I thought it was a going to be a clear win for Rosé. 
Yes. Yeah, I think that it was just maybe she got a little overconfident or maybe she, um, I don't know, like didn't want to repeat the same material or something. And so she came up with different jokes. But for whatever reason, uh, she did not do as well as I thought that she would, despite doing a very respectable job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like on the whole, these challenges are never my favorite, but I don't recall uh, I'm sure there are some, but I don't recall another where there was such clear tops and bottoms that it was like, <laughs> it was like, oh, this is funny. Oh, this is painful. Oh, this is funny. Oh, this is painful. Like it was such a roller coaster. Every single like performer. It was clear to me that Utica was going to be going home from the moment she yeah. walked off stage and Candy had to get the audience, the very limited audience back on side. Yeah, it was, it was, it was Speaking bad. Speaking of which, is another reason I would have given, can, uh, I would have given Got Mick the um, win. I, I, because she came after Yeah, I think I just called Utica. Got Mick Candy you before. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It was um, Got Mick. But, uh, yeah, I, because um, Got Mick had to get the, the uh, audience back on side, I would have given the win to Got Mick for that as well. Harder yeah, job. and because of that, you know, sh- she was not, uh, of course, they went in with prepared jokes, right? But she was not able, probably, to have prepared to bring the audience back on side after Utica did such a terrible job. She would have had to go off the cuff on like, okay, the tension in the room has you know, is palpable. The mood has turned. I need to just kind of throw some zingers at Utica's expense in order to like... Made that good UTI joke. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe she did have that prepared already, but like it felt pretty natural. And I would agree that Gutmick did a great job um, following a really bad, really bad act. If, since she didn't win, I was put a very confident second place in that challenge. Yeah, yeah, I think that she did uh, a really great job. And for the reasons that you've said, maybe, and because uh, Rosé might have uh, been a bit complacent in her performance that, like, Got Mick might have edged her out a little bit. Indeed. And so, yeah, they lip-synced to uh, No Tears Left to Cry by Ariana Grande. And as we've discussed, Utica rightly went home. Yes, uh, I think that it was her time. I think that it was past time, as I have said. Um, So I think that Utica brought some like, interesting looks, some, you know, she, she had that one um, lip sync uh that i she really surprised me and i thought the first one that she won that i was like oh you know like she has this quirkiness that in some ways i think is really interesting and really fun to look at and in other ways i think that her awkwardness and like you know i think that she just didn't perform and she wasn't as well-rounded as some of the other queens and her awkwardness got the better of her future all-stars maybe maybe so we have five queens remaining, I think. And 12 episodes remaining. Yeah, exactly. So I do think, I mean, Olivia Lux, you're in danger, girl. I do think that uh, that she might be next, next, the on, the, yeah. next on the chopping block. Um, because she, it's been a few weeks in a row where she has been 
a little lackluster. And after Candy's strong performance in this one, she has, um, you know, edged Olivia out, I think, in the top four, in my yeah. opinion. Right then, so that's it for now. Um, so, as mentioned before, uh, next episode we'll be discussing the 1974 Eurovision Song Contest. So, until next time, bye! Bye. <laughs>